Well, hello. Welcome to Dark Stories from the Campfire. Ever wondered how gardens keep their beauty for so long? Sometimes their secrets are better left uncovered. For this episode, we present to you three dark stories centered around the theme of garden secrets. Our first story concerns an elderly gentleman who, after retiring, buys a house in the country. But when he begins to find imprints in the snow around his garden, he tries to determine if the imprints are left by someone else or is he the cause. We present to you, snow. It's snowing. It seems like it is always snowing now. Perhaps not in the afternoon, for that is when I spend time in my study. But every morning and each evening it is snowing. And yet, there is no sign that it is accumulating. The porch, the steps, and the yard all look as though the snow had just started falling. The finger imprints I left in the railing this morning are still visible. But was it this morning? Or maybe yesterday? The day before, maybe? It has been hard to keep track of time lately. I didn't actually intend to start a garden, you see, and it's still a mystery to me how it all started anyway. I was attending a social event celebrating the retirement of an acquaintance when a dear friend of mine asked what my plans were when it was my time to hang up my hat and fully indulge in leisure time. I really had no idea. I hadn't thought about it all that much. I would like to buy a house, I said, maybe in the country. My friend chuckled, as did I. Four years later, the same group gathered again for my retirement. This time, though, my friend didn't ask me what my plans were. Rather, they put their hand in their pocket and pulled out two small, crumpled bags. These are for your new house, my friend told me with a small grin, slipping the small bags into my coat pocket. Confused, I reached for my pocket to examine the contents of the bag, but my friend grabbed my hand and told me to wait until I was settled in. I urged them to tell me what was in the bags and why I should have to wait. The bags, they said, contain a new hobby and life. With that, they sipped their champagne and led me to a group of people who were eager to meet and congratulate me and to wish me well on my future retirement. The rest of the evening was joyful and filled with many tears and handshakes. As the night wore on, I largely forgot about the small bags sitting in my pocket. This morning I found footprints in the snow, as though someone was pacing around my garden, but no footprints leading to or away my little flowers. I wondered how my visitor had gotten in, seeing as though my garden is surrounded by high brick walls. Besides that, I am sure I would have seen someone, as the window of my study faces the garden. I stood there, looking at the fresh imprints as snowflakes drifted around me, spurred on by a light breeze that left a layer of white on top of the garden walls. I took a deep breath and let it out, but rather than seeing my own exhale, there was a second one not too far from me. This wasn't the first time I had noticed this. A few days after I had moved into my new country house, I noticed some movement in the garden. I threw on my coat and made my way outside, hoping to catch a glimpse of what could have caused the motion I saw. When I reached the garden, nothing was there, but I noticed growing at my feet were small clumps of daylilies and lavender. I was confused as to who planted these, as it was much too cold and the ground too hard for anything to take root, but there they were. I knelt down, caressing some of the leaves in my fingers. Their smell was intoxicating. I ran the plants between my fingers again and again, letting the flowers dance on my palm. It was some time before I saw beneath the flowers what looked like brown scrap paper. With a shock, I realized what it was. Pushing the flowers aside, 
I reached down and picked up two small bags, and then I remembered how my friend had slipped them into my pocket all those months ago. But how did they get there? I don't remember planting anything. As I was inspecting the bags, I felt something lean over and breathe next to my face. I fell to my side but saw no one there. Moments later, it began to snow. I used to stand in the garden and watch the swirls of gray and white mixed with the green and purple and pinks of the garden. I've grown tired though, and now spend most of my time inside, reading and watching my garden that continues to blossom. After dinner one day, I saw someone sitting in the garden, arms wrapped around them. I quickly grabbed my coat, racing outside. By the time I'd got outside, the figure was gone, and there was no indication there had been anyone sitting in the smooth, freshly laid snow. Every day, I see her more and more, always out by the garden. I stand in my window and watch her, and I am pretty sure my guest is a female. I do not know who she is or where she comes from, and she never looks in my direction. Regardless, there she sits, huddled in the chair in the garden, arms crossed around her chest, wrapped in a blue parker, trying to keep warm. She is saying something, but I can't hear her, and every now and then she is motioning to something in the distance. Morning and night I find her out there, for how long now? For underneath these garden walls, she whispers, and I watch as her breath fades into the snow. For our second dark story, we tell the tale of the Rosebud Inn, which is known for their eight beautiful rose bushes. But when a strange visitor enters the inn one stormy night, an altercation takes place, leaving the guests to question the fate of the owners of the inn. We present to you the Rose Bushes. Those making the pilgrimage to the Cathedral of San Michel will no doubt have heard of the Rosebud Inn. Each year, hundreds of individuals making the journey stop off at the inn to eat, drink, if they happen to be burdened by any extra coin, rent a room for the night, before continuing on the next morning. However, what the inn was really known for was the eight beautiful rose bushes lining the front of the inn, hence their name. Even the Pilgrim Guidebook, which many carried with them on their way to San Michel, mentions the bushes in their history of the inn, stating, Believed to have been built around the time of St. Michael's death, the Rosebud Inn is a finely built structure that offers protection and comfort to the weary traveler, though the main centerpiece of the edifice is the gorgeous rose bushes lining the front of the inn, and many people on their pilgrimage travel many miles off their path to gaze upon them. It seems the brightly colored red roses shine in all weather, all year round, as though the Lord himself is lighting the way forward to your journey. The Rosebud Inn is owned by Mr. and Mrs. Wythe, who had bought the place a few decades earlier when it suddenly was available for sale. The husband and wife took immense pride in the place, making sure the mugs and plates were clean, and where those traveling down the path could find solace in a place free of profanity, drunkenness, and fighting. And it was this husband and wife team that stood behind the bar one stormy night, when a traveler wearing a long leather coat and a large brimmed hat stepped into the inn. The traveler stood for some time in the doorway, water dripping onto the floor. Mr. Wythe called out, warmly inviting their guest into the inn. The traveler, however, did not answer, but turned towards the table in the corner, slipped his pack off his shoulder, where it fell to the floor with a dull thud. 
Mr. Wythe put down the mug he was cleaning and leaned towards the visitor, asking if he needed any help. Again, the traveler gave no response, but dragged his pack towards the table and sat down. Mr. and Mrs. Wythe guest sat motionless for several minutes where they both looked at each other, puzzled. After some time, the traveler reached into his leather coat, producing a small booklet and pencil, and placed them on the table, flipped a couple of pages, and began to write his nose only a few inches from the pages. Mrs. Wythe walked over to the table, pitcher in hand, and asked their guest would like a drink to help warm himself up from the cold rain. Paying no attention to Mrs. Wythe, the traveler continued to scribble in his book. In fact, he didn't even seem to notice as she leaned closer to see what he was writing, but she could not. The writing was small and frantic, However, she could make out a few beautifully drawn roses in the middle of the indiscernible script. Mrs. Wythe waited a few minutes longer before heading back to the bar, and her husband, who upon her return, asked if she could ascertain his presence in the inn. All she told her husband was their guest soundly ignored her, ordering nothing, not even stopping his writing. Mr. Wythe, tossing the towel across his shoulder, approached the table. I am sorry, my friend, Mr. Wythe started. But I'm afraid if you don't order something, I'm going to have to ask. Before he could finish, the traveler cut him off, saying, I'll have whatever is good. Our house ale is the best in the region, Mr. Wise said. That is fine, the traveler replied. Looking back at his wife, Mr. Wythe motioned to her to bring the pitcher and a mug for their guest, which he did rapidly, as Mrs. Wythe felt the sooner the guest was finished and gone, the better off she would feel. As she poured the drink, she asked their visitor if he was coming to or going towards San Michel. The traveler stopped his writing and placed his pencil next to the book. While in any other circumstance this action would have gone unnoticed, Mr. and Mrs. Wythe felt in this instant it was deliberate and grew uneasy. And as their visitor lifted the mug to his lips, he began to inquire about the rose bushes out front and if they knew anything about them. It was Mrs. Wythe who responded to the questions. Oh, those? Such beauties, aren't they? I am not sure where they come from. Ever since I was a little girl, those rose bushes have been out front, though not as many, maybe two or three then. I believe the last owner probably planted a few. They are beautiful, though. The traveler finished his drink as she spoke and gently placed the mug on the table, gesturing for another. But when Mrs. Wythe bent down to refill the mug, the traveler moved quickly, and in rapid succession, he had hold of Mrs. Wythe's arm, and the sharp end of a hatchet, which he had pulled from his pack, pressed against her arm. All three were frozen in their positions as the pitcher fell to the ground. Presently, Mr. Wythe lunged towards the traveler, who dropped the hatchet and began to laugh. Grabbing the traveler by the shoulders, Mr. Wythe stood his guest up and ordered him to leave. The traveler just smiled looked at them both and said, you have such a beautiful bedroom. Mr. Wythe gathered up the book and pack belonging to the traveler and shoved the objects into his chest, again ordering him to leave. But their guests continued. It was such a lovely view from the street. With one final shove, Mr. Wythe pushed the traveler through the door and out into the rain. The traveler stood in the street for some time before running his fingers through the rose bushes and walking down the street. The next morning, as tenants exited their rooms and the pilgrims came in from the road to catch a quick breakfast, no one could find the Wythes. 
A few of the guests pounded on the bedroom door in an attempt to wake them, thinking they had overslept. No answer came from within. When they finally broke in, they noticed the room had been undisturbed, as though they had never retired for the night. They spent the rest of the morning looking for anyone who may have known what happened to them, but no witness came forward, and there was no indication where they may have gone. A year later, those traveling the Pilgrim Road noticed new owners moving in and were happy to have the inn once again reopened. And in their pocket they carried the updated Pilgrim Guide that listed ten, rather than eight, beautiful rose bushes lining the front of the Rosebud Inn. Before we continue with our dark stories, let's take a moment to catch our breath and try to regain our senses. For our third and final dark story, we look at Mr. Roberts, who takes it upon himself to preserve images for eternity, but the mystery of his garden is more troubling than he thinks. We present to you these garden walls. The state hospital is a tall, forbidding structure, built of solid brick, made darker by the rain and meaner by the season. So now, 200 years after its construction, it stands as a physical metaphor for the hollowness and evil that lies within a point made even more poignant by the fact it was built overlooking the sea. The belief was that the calming effect of the still water was much more preferable than locking up an individual in a cell so they could pay penance for their crime. But anyone who grew up near the shore knows how quickly the water can become violent, and even the strongest ships are torn apart when caught in its maelstrom. The orderly at the front desk reviewed my credentials, gave me a curious look, then jotted down my name in the hospital ledger. I had not been waiting long before the senior doctor came down the stairs to greet me. The interview room is ready, he told me, and they are collecting Mr. Roberts as we speak. He will be shackled, the doctor was telling me as we ascended the stairs to the second floor, so you mustn't worry too much about your safety. I thanked the good doctor when we reached the door to the interview room, further informing him that Mr. Roberts and myself should not be disturbed, and that when finished, I will knock on the door to be let out. The doctor agreed, and ushered me into the interview room before closing it and turning the lock. Mr. Roberts was already seated at the table they had set up in the middle of the room, with arms and legs chained to metal rings buried into the floor. He didn't look at me as I entered, and I didn't pay this much mind, for I quickly sat across from him, opened my notebook, and readied my pen. I introduced myself and informed him I had some questions I would like answered. Mr. Roberts turned to face the window where one could witness a gorgeous panoramic view of the ocean. All I could do was wait patiently for him to begin. At length, he finally broke the silence, saying, You must have found my garden. That could be the only reason why you are here. I answered affirmatively and told him I was curious about the canvas strips he had piled in the corner of his garden. They are for my paintings, Mr. Roberts replied in an almost whisper. He took a deep breath, and while still looking at the tranquility of the water, began. I am a collector, you see. My job is to take what is finite and turn it into something immortal. I am sure you found my butterfly collection by now in my room. 
50, nay, 100 years from now, the case of mounted butterflies will be hanging in some stuffy office, its owner displaying them for their beauty, never giving them a second thought they were once alive, that they flew from flower to flower feeding, struggling for existence. Mr. Roberts grew silent and continued to look out the window. I shifted in my seat and asked if he held the same philosophy about Sophia. Mr. Roberts smiled at this and finally turned to face me. I believed I loved her, he began. I remember the first time I met her outside at the park. She was lounging on a blanket with a book in one hand and a sandwich in the other and the sun glaring down. It was easy to talk to her. I had no fear whatsoever. We only talked for a few minutes before she gathered up her items and said she had to run. She was meeting a friend for lunch and was afraid of being late. I said my goodbyes and she left. A week later, coincidentally, I ran into her at the same park. I approached her once more, hoping to pick up where we left off. She was much more chatty this time and invited me to sit next to her. We talked for some time. I think it was the third time we met that I mentioned I was an artist telling her I found a quiet garden where I could hide away, that the surrounding colors of the flowers were my constant muse. She expressed some interest in seeing some of my works, and I invited her to stop by the following afternoon. She showed up promptly the following day. To be honest, she showed more interest in the flowers than my paintings. I remember her asking how old I thought the area was. I told her I was not sure, maybe hundreds of years old. Oh, if these walls could talk, I remember her saying. She knelt down to pick up a few of the flowers and turned towards me, smelling the flowers. A slight breeze blew in, pushing a few strands of her hair across her face as she held the flowers under her nose. I still have that image in my head. She teased me, begged me to also smell the flowers, but I told her it was getting late and I had some work to do. Mr. Roberts again fell silent. He stopped looking at me and once again turned towards the window. I finished up noting his last statement, then relaxed the pen in my fingers. There was one more question I had to ask, one more question that we needed answers to. Then why did you do it? I asked. Why did you kill Sophia? Mr. Roberts did not speak, only adjusted his shoulders. For the rest of my time with him, he never spoke again. Two hours before my meeting with Mr. Roberts, I was standing in his garden. It was the pile of canvas strips that caught the eye of everybody, for it seemed out of place in a garden. It was only after a few layers were removed did they find the body of Sophia, and in her hand she was still holding the flowers she had picked. It was only after I interviewed Mr. Roberts that I finally understood that underneath those canvas strips, Sophia's body lies immortal. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe. We'll be releasing new dark stories every Monday, and we are sure you wouldn't want to miss out. If you like the stories and what we are doing here, please consider supporting the show with the links provided, or leave a tip if you like a particular episode. Again, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on Dark Stories from the Campfire.